www.healthcmi.com. Acupuncture continuing education online today. A little bit about influenza, coronavirus, pneumonia, acupuncture, and herbal medicine, and how traditional Chinese medicine plays a role in disease prevention and recovery. Now, if we go to healthcmi.com and click on news, we see an article from March 1st, 2020, entitled Acupuncture and Herbs Found Effective for Pneumonia Relief. So what we found here, for example, is at a Hangzhou hospital, they did a research project and basically gave everyone who had severe pneumonia who were hospitalized standard drug therapy. But they also gave another control group acupuncture and herbal medicine. And what they found was that the combined treatment group, the integrative medicine protocol, produced a 98.33% total effective rate. And by contrast, the standard drug therapy produced an 88.33% total effective rate. So by adding in the acupuncture and herbs, you had a 10% increase in positive patient outcome rates. Now that was based on disappearance of time of symptoms and signs, important reductions in the length of hospital stay. So adding the Chinese medicine in there reduces the time of inpatient care. And then there was a lot of measurements, uh, WBC, PCT levels, other types of immunity indices in the bloodstream. So they are checking blood levels uh, for fighting infection, uh, looking at fibrinogen, hematocrit, plasma viscosity levels, CD4 and CD8 levels, natural killer NK cells, things like this. So looking at the whole package, objective measurements in the bloodstream, and also basically how quickly people recover and get out of the hospital, they found that acupuncture for people with quite severe pneumonia did a lot better. So this can save lives, but also get people back on their feet a lot better. What's nice about this piece of research is that it gives you the exact acupuncture points used and the herbal medicine used. It was a variation on an herbal formula called Ching Fei Zhuyu decoction. So that is a very strong herbal formula, also very effective. And what it points to is this integrative medicine protocol. Now at the Healthcare Medicine Institute, we also have a continuing education course on the treatment of influenza. And that comes from Professor Pang from traditional Chinese medicine hospital, Five Branches University, and Ken Pang, his brother. The Pang family has decades of experience in teaching and practicing traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, and herbal medicine. And they basically released their family secrets on the treatment of influenza, asthma, and bronchitis. So there's some rare herbs in there that are ordinarily not used. A whole lot of great material that will be somewhat new to some acupuncturists even because in southern China, a lot of these practitioners are using a lot of very rare and local herbs or just herbs that are lesser used. So for example, uh, sanyahu or sanchahu gan, it may be called, is used for high fever. And in that region of China where they're from, again, it's a tropical region, you're dealing with things like that a lot. And so we use that for what we call the lung heat cough with swelling and pain of the throat. 
and Sanya, who is a great herb. There's also Gui Yujan. So we use that in traditional Chinese medicine. That's covered in the herbal formulas they show in that course for its antiviral actions. Now, this is important because there are some antiviral medications within standard hospital biomedicine. However, antivirals are not at the same level we have the development of antibiotics today, which can really go in and kill a wide variety of bacterial infections. The antivirals sometimes are only effective if taken right away at first exposure. So they're not there yet. And the Chinese medicine a lot of it is already there and has been for a long time. I even suggest that the research by the pharmaceutical industry really starts focusing on some of the herbals that already have these powerful antiviral actions. Now, the downside to developing all these wonderful drugs, whether it's antibiotics for bacterial infections or antiviral drugs, is that the more we use these pharmaceuticals, the more people become resistant, or at least I should say the viruses and the bacteria become resistant, we get into a little bit of a dangerous cycle with that. For example, in the 1960s, tetracycline was once considered a very powerful antibiotic, but by today's standards, we would say something maybe more like Cipro or something is considered powerful because people became resistant, the bugs basically became resistant, let's say. So there is a downside to that too. But these type of concerns are also a little bit after the fact. If we really want to get deeper into disease prevention, the upfront costs should be in sewage treatment facilities, dealing with homeless populations, getting them a warm place to sleep at night, and some medical care, things like this to prevent disease, infection, and spreading, dealing with drug addiction, starvation, lack of clean water sources to people, dump sites with garbage, getting into groundwater, nuclear waste, toxic chemicals emitted into the air. These types of things actually weaken the entire human race. So by fixing one area, we help everybody everywhere. So that is a deeper issue. Right now, the way, for example, the United States, the way the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, acts is usually after the fact where FEMA or CDC comes in and, and does a vaccination program or something. And we spend billions of dollars. The government does emergency funding and does this outreach and does a quarantine and does vaccinations. But if we do the upfront work in advance with the public safety, cleaning up the food supply, cleaning up the air, the soil, getting access to medical care to people, then we'll find that we'll have less of these emergencies in general. Now, they will come up anyway. So that's another issue entirely. So it, get, it does get very political in terms of appropriation of funding. And when we get back to Chinese medicine, what it can do for someone like a person suffering from pneumonia or a person having some form of very powerful influenza virus, there are a lot of options already. Let's take a look at that. So in the Chinese medicine course, it's basically it's an acupuncture continuing education course developed by the Pong family. And that one at healthcmi.com gets into the biomedical research on influenza, 
And then it gets deeper into what we call the four levels analysis, which is an ancient way of basically looking at the development of a disease through time and how to get at it at different stages of the illness. So this is a highly complex system. There's also the six stages system or the four, there's the four levels and the six stages. Uh, they're different ways of looking at the progression of disease and how they present within Chinese medicine. We would say one is for heat disorders and one is cold disorders, but there is some interplay there. And these theoretical models are highly relevant in today's world. I spoke with Professor Jeffrey Pong. He said, we are basically out of the age of cold-induced disorders. So let's say four or 500 years ago, people didn't have access to just shelter and staying warm, whereas today we're in the age of heat and toxins. So that is certainly the case. Let's say you have a chemical plant or a plastic factory, or aluminum production facility. Uh, there's a lot of chemicals, heavy metals, all kinds of exposure to humans that we have to deal with. So the challenges of today, and including central heat, which can drive people out sometimes, just more simple stuff. There are, the challenges are very different than, let's say, a few hundred years ago and the type of diseases. Although the opinion of Professor Pong and many people is that certain diseases, if they become out of control, could quickly wipe out large portions of the human race. For example, tuberculosis. So there are some threats and we want to look at them up front. But there is a lot with these infectious diseases that we can address with the acupuncture and herbal medicine. So that course entitled Influenza asthma and bronchitis is very helpful for this type of situation. So there's a lot of concern, for example, with the coronavirus, but every year or so we do have some scares. The coronavirus, there's so much uncertainty, for example, with the new form of a virus of what happens if this becomes widespread and mutates and becomes even more dangerous. So let's say the mortality rate jumps from 1% or 2% to something like 20%, and it's highly contagious, which the coronavirus is. So these are dangerous situations which lead to things like quarantines and funding for vaccination, things like that. Looking at every year over year, for example, this current year, and a standard garden variety, shall we say, influenza virus, caused the death of tens of thousands of people. So there are already a lot of problems with viral infections, for example. And again, bacterium, very different situation. We have antibiotics for that, unless there's something that is resistant to that type of therapy. So too with viruses, we don't really have the medicine like we have with the arsenal of antibiotics in general. So there is sometimes a, a cause for alarm. But that alarm bell is rung almost every year around certain types of viruses. I remember the Hong Kong flu or the this flu or the that flu. These are not strangers and they are very dangerous, which is why so much of Chinese medicine, whether it's the old Shanghan Lun six stages or the Wenbing four levels type of research, which is ancient, is so important. Because getting this stuff under control is important for us personally, for our friends, our families, our loved ones, and for everyone, really. That's why Chinese medicine plays an important role. Think about this. 
the one of the main cures for malaria comes from Qinghao, Artemisia, the herb. It was discovered by a research scientist in China who looked at herbal medicine, found the active ingredient, and they created a pharmaceutical from it. And this is not an isolated story. This is how things work together. So we need to stop thinking in terms of East and West, China versus America versus Russia versus France or what have you. There's just medicine and what gets people better. There's simply efficaciousness and non-efficaciousness. If something works, use it. Ideally, it would have a low adverse effect rate and a high efficaciousness rate. So there are some concerns with all of this. Then how do you distribute that to people? What is the method of consumption? Things like that. Do you need professionals to administer it? Is it something that can be widespread? Will it develop resistance? These are also concerns. The beauty of a lot of the herbal medicines is that it's very difficult to build up resistance to the herbs because if we give an isolated protein or isolated substance, a virus or a bacteria can essentially memorize or identify that substance and build resistance to it more easily than a broad spectrum herb, which may have multiple substances within it that have antiviral or antibacterial properties. So one advantage to the herbal medicine is that it's very broad spectrum from multiple ingredients having the same action or sharing similar actions or providing synergistic actions as to as opposed to an isolated ingredient in a single pill with that is easy for a virus or bacterium to identify. Now that might change in the future and the pharmaceutical industry may go after this kind of concept of having multiple substances in the pill, multiple types of antibiotics at once, for example, or things like this. And triple antibiotic therapy, for example, is not unusual for the treatment of Lyme disease. But one reason why herbs like Ching Hao, which is used not only for malaria, but also the treatment of Lyme disease, in very special herbal formulas. Why it's so successful is that the spirochete, the bacterium associated with Lyme and associated co-infections like Babesia, Ehrlichia, cannot memorize the structure of Artemisia of Qinghao and cannot build up resistance to it. It's just too many ingredients. Whereas if you just keep hitting Lyme disease with a particular antibiotic, eventually you'll get strains that survive that onslaught from the antibiotic, and those that survive are resistant, and they build back up. Same thing with farming. You know, if you spray a crop with a particular pesticide, and you kill millions of bugs, but 400 remain, those 400 survive, and they're resistant, and they will populate and they will build back up, and now you have to have a stronger pesticide. And this cycle is quite dangerous for humans. So there are some issues. Right and wrong isn't really the, the issue here. It's just going forward, what are the best approaches? I've always suggested if we want to throw federal money around, for example, the United States, maybe build hospital ships. I thought that was a great way to go and kind of change over our... Um, military establishment industrial facilities from uh, more of a warlock hawkish, hawkish uh, stance to having these defensive postures where airships and boats have massive outreach efforts uh, capabilities. So building hospital ships, for example, is one great idea to provide relief. And of course, um, 
we can conquer the world with love by providing health care. And, of course, the United States itself is having problems even providing health care to its own citizens, much less outreach to other nations. But think about port towns in the United States and how they could really use just incredible influx of facilities in a time of emergency, in time of flooding, after a tornado or hurricane, something like that. And also large airships can also have hospital beds and, and medical relief teams. And focusing more on that up front, I think, is a good expenditure because we're going to spend the money anyway once a disaster happens, and then it's after the fact and we're scrambling. So if we're up front ready to go, we're going to find it a lot easier to handle these things in the short, medium, and long term. Looking back at Chinese medicine, there really is a tried and true and tested with research. As we looked at that article before on the treatment of pneumonia, there's really a tried and true method for addressing infectious disease, whether it's viral infections or bacterial infections. And this is something that would do well to integrate within standard biomedicine. I mentioned Lyme disease earlier. In my own acupuncture practice, if we use, for example, Dazoi, Dauda, Shenzhou, maybe with large intestine 11 and stomach 36, so do 14, 13, 12, those acupuncture points, which were used by Professor Wei Shui in his research back in the 1950s at the Shanghai College of Medicine for preventing the replication of malaria. If we use that in conjunction with herbal medicine, we have great results against things like Lyme disease or Lichia babesia because spirochetes are very tricky. They can change the outer cell wall such that they are unaffected by antibiotics. They can basically memorize what's going on and adapt. So when you add antibiotic therapy with the herbal medicine, with the acupuncture, mostly we get it. In other words, the patient gets better. Now, there are some long-term issues if a patient has had that disease for many, many years. Then there can be infections that get across the blood-brain barrier and into the brain and build up plaques. That's a much more serious issue than the acute infection because now we're looking at some types of what in current science is considered irreversible damage. So it's important to get at that right away. My experience has been some people are basically dying. They come into my office. There's not much we can do. They're already getting triple antibiotic therapy. and In other words, this is intravenous stuff they're getting, and it's not working. And the antibiotics themselves are also very hard on the body. There's only so much you can take. But when we layer in the acupuncture and layer in the herbal medicine on top of it, it's enough to get the job done. So the whether it's an additive or synergistic effect, they leave that up to the researchers, but it's enough to handle that particular type of infection. So again, today's podcast, we're really just looking at controlling infectious disease and what that means. And as I've stated before, the preventative approach is very important. But looking at Chinese medicine, there are broad categories just for this, the clear heat, dry, damp category. So this looks at the conditions within the body and allows, for example, toxic things to dry out certain areas that allow them to fester. The clear heat and toxins category, which I would liken to antivirals and antibacterial medications within biomedicine. That's a, just a singular category in Chinese medicine. And then you have the clear the qi level heat category. And those entire category verbs just for things like, say, like high fever, 
the release surface category just for things that attack like common cold and flu. There are multiple categories of herbal medicines and they're combined within herbal formulas to create a broad, create a broad spectrum approach to treating infectious disease. Most licensed acupuncturists in the United States, in Canada, things like that, are trained in herbal medicine. So we say licensed acupuncturist, I guess that's the term we use, but Chinese medicine has many facets. And that includes uh, breathing, meditation and exercise, bone medicine, things like the dietetics, you know, eating properly and what foods to have in certain situations. And the core we see in terms of licensure in the scope of practice, let's say in California or Oregon or something or New York State is acupuncture and herbal medicine. So those are part of the traditional Chinese medicine system. And those types of medicine that people are licensed in can be particularly helpful in the treatment of infectious disease. I'm Adam White, licensed acupuncturist. I want to thank you all for listening. If you like us, give us a, a review in your podcast supplier. I'm not even sure how that all works anymore. The world just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You have the Apple podcast store, you have Spotify, you have all of these different outreach methods and ways of communicating with people. So it's, it's really something kind of special that I think is giving us a chance to share our voices together. Thank you for listening. www.healthcmi.com. <laughs>